invite you to stand with me tonight while I read to you from Psalm 37. Psalm 37. And I'll read the first nine verses of Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Uh, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way because of the man or the person who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger, forsake wrath, do not fret. It only leads to evil doing. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord or hope in the Lord, they will inherit the land. And this is God's word for us tonight, and you may be seated. I have a copy of the children's version of Pilgrim's Progress. I don't know if you know that that's available, but it is. And I received an advanced copy of it, have it on my computer. And today I was reading a little bit about that. That book was written in the late 1600s, about 1668, 1670, written by a minister by the name of John Bunyan, not Paul Bunyan, but John Bunyan. A uh, very, very prominent preacher in uh, England who was imprisoned because of his preaching, preaching without a license, and spent 12 years in prison. And he had this dream about Pilgrim's Progress, and it's a story of a person by the name of Christian who lived in the city of destruction and uh, broke away from the city of destruction and went out looking for the celestial city. And uh, it's an allegory, of course, and, and uh, full of uh, images. And if you want to read something to your children, you can get a copy of it. It's, it's really a wonderful, wonderful book to, to read and help children come to grips with things. But along the way, he meets, uh, he meets different kinds of people. He goes to places like uh, um, cities of, of discouragement. He meets... Uh, Mr. Worldly Wise Man, all sorts of different people. Uh, and, and the challenge is for him to na- navigate his way through all of these obstacles and make it to the celestial city, which he does. And eventually his wife comes out of the city of destruction, though she told him she'd never do it, and she too makes the journey. As I think about our, our, our willingness to step into the more of God, I need to make us all aware of the fact that that's not an easy thing to do. There are so many obstacles and hindrances along the way in our walk with Christ. And I sometimes feel like that that people become almost a prisoner to an individual or a circumstance or an event, and they're never able to move forward. It's, It's as if they can never escape. 
I'm reminded of the words from Zechariah, and I understand Dr. Scott Daniels is here, and he may have referenced this scripture as well, but Zechariah chapter 9, verse 11, he's, he's talking to the people who'd been imprisoned in uh, Babylon, and, and they've come out of Babylon, and he's trying to, to rouse them and get them on with the rebuilding of the temple. And he says to them something like this, it's time for you to rise up to the fortress or to the work, Oh, you prisoners of hope. Now, I think what he was trying to say is this. Many who were in Babylon considered themselves the prisoners of the Babylonians. But there were some who were held hostage by the promise of God. Does that make sense to you? They were imprisoned by the promise of God. So they, they never accepted their surroundings as their permanent residence. For they were leaning into the promise of God. And I, I think God wants us to learn to lean into his promise and move beyond the things that happen to us. And as we do that, we continue to grow, we continue to mature, we continue to be perfected in his love. Now, we're, we're a denomination, I know, we, we believe that there is an initial work of grace, uh, initial sanctification, theologians call it we call it getting saved most of us but that moment where we where we I you know the Bible says nothing of receiving Christ or accepting Christ the Bible says you'll be saved when you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord <laughs> that's that's what the Bible says we don't pay a lot of attention to what the Bible says it's okay to <laughs> invite people to receive Christ I'm not saying that's a bad thing but the better thing is to settle in our hearts that God raised him from the dead and then confess aloud, I believe that Jesus is Lord. Not only Lord of the universe, but he is the Lord of my life. We, we further believe that following that initial sanctification, there is a, a period of time of growth and maturing. And we come to a moment where God invites us, as I said last night, to really surrender our total selves to his will and his purpose. And we call that entire sanctification. We got that word from John Wesley. And he used the word entire sanctification to differentiate between initial sanctification and progressive sanctification. Now, in our church, we've really been strong over here. And we've really been strong over here. But we haven't been too strong in here. And we haven't been strong from here on out. Because all the work is not done there and all the work is not done here. All the work is possible because of what happens there and what happens here. But there's a great deal more that God wants to do in our lives. And we lean into that and we're, we're held captive to that. We're prisoners of that hope that God's still working in my life. That's why we give grace and, uh, and, and, and space for people in the church because God's working in them. Uh, that person that rubs you the wrong way, well, just give God time. He'll either take that person to heaven or straighten them out, one or the other. So it'll all work out in one, one way or another. Uh, it, God's working in all of our lives. And, and in Psalm 37, the psalmist gives us uh, just a, a three or four of the hindrances we're going to face and then he tells us how to overcome them, how to live as a prisoner of hope. And the first has to do with people. 
You know, the world would be a beautiful place if it weren't for all the people, wouldn't it? It, it really would. I mean, if there were just the people you wanted, you know, if you could just handpick the people and then go off somewhere and start your own little country and, and, and you make your own laws and everybody behaves like you want them to behave. Wouldn't that be a great place? I'd like to go there. My problem is I'd have to live alone because I don't think anybody would go with me. People, people. So the psalmist says, do not fret. Now the word fret here, when I thought of fret, I thought of somebody who kind of fidgets and worries and that kind of thing. But that's not what the Bible's talking about here. The Bible's talking about seething anger. Do not be seized by anger. Do you sense a lot of anger in the world today? Am I, am I off base or is, are people mad? I like the bumper sticker I saw several years ago. And it said, if you're not mad, you're not paying attention. <laughs> well, a lot of people are paying attention today because there's an awful lot of anger. And I have to confess to you, I believe there's way too much anger in the church. Anger at the culture. I'm going to talk about the culture in the church tomorrow night, but we're angry. Jesus was never angry at a lost world. He got angry at the hypocrisy of those who claim to be righteous. But when Jesus looked at a broken world, he didn't get angry. He got sick at his stomach and he wept and he grieved and his heart broke for them. Oh, that in the church, our hearts would be broken for the brokenness of the world in which we live, for the politicians on the other side of the aisle, for the ones that are doing things that just, just get us so worked up that we could be broken. I'm not going to go any further into politics than that. Just stop right there. So do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious. Trust in the Lord and do good. How do you deal with difficult people? Well, you trust in the Lord and you do good. And I like to put it this way. You trust in the Lord and do what Jesus would do. What did Jesus do with difficult people? He reached out to them. He loved them. He talked to them. He sat down with them. He listened to them. He engaged them. What did he do with difficult disciples? He loved them. He taught them. He put his arms around them. He forgave them even when they deserted him in the most trying of his circumstances. He extended grace and mercy and reached out to them. How could he do that? Because he was leaning into the promise of the Father. And, and we overcome by doing that. We, we do the right thing. We, we, we don't have to say everything we think. Um, amen to that. You know, I, I say to people who have a habit of doing that, I say, you know, the next time you feel that way, Go in your restroom, take all your clothes off, get in the shower, and say everything you want to say in the shower. And just let it all go down the drain. And get out and dry yourself up, put your clothes on, put a smile on, and go on about your business. Go off somewhere where you can't hurt anybody. And say whatever you've got to say, but then get it out of your system. Let go of it. Release it. We're, we're prisoners to the opinions of other people. We get angry and bitter. Somebody said that bitterness is like letting someone live rent-free in your brain. It doesn't hurt the other person. We're the ones that are injured. It's like a cancer in our soul and in our spirit. 
When we were pastoring in Pensacola, Florida, I sensed that things were not right between me and a parishioner. So I thought that I'd do the right thing. I'd go out and we'd have a conversation and it'd all be good. So I sat down and, and uh, we talked a little bit and I said, well, Norm, I, I feel like there's something wrong between us and uh, I just wondered if we could talk about it. He said, well, there is. He said, I don't like you. <laughs> and he said, I don't believe you're a Christian. I, I think you're just a ladder climber. And I pray every day that my family will never need a pastor as long as you're serving in our church. Well, I, I understood all of that. And I, I decided that the conversation... There was no good place for this conversation to go. So I said, well, maybe it would be good if I left and come back and we can pick this up another time. And I said, why don't we, why don't we pray and I'll leave? He said, fine, and I will pray. So he prayed and I left. For the next few years that we were there, every Thanksgiving and every Christmas, Norm called our house and if I answered the phone, he, he didn't even acknowledge me. He just said, is Patty there? And I said, yes, she is. And I gave the phone to Patty, and Norm said to her, Patty, I just called to wish you and your children uh, a happy Thanksgiving. I, I just called to wish you and your children a Merry Christmas. <laughs> Every year we got that blessed call. <laughs> well, you know, we left. We did everything we could. We... We reached out to Norm and his family. We drove to Georgia once for the funeral of a relative of theirs. He, he never tried to hurt me in the church. He, I, nobody ever knew about that conversation. It, it just, nobody, we didn't talk about it. He didn't talk about it to his credit. He, wasn't, he just was saying what he felt. 25 years later, we're back in Pensacola for revival services. And on Friday night, the first night, after the service is over, I see Norm coming down the center aisle, and he's weeping. And he came to me and reached out to me, and with tears in his eyes, he said, I should be in Georgia tonight. We have a family member who's dying, but I had to come and tell you that I have come to love you and put his arms around me and love me. Now, all stories don't have a happy ending like that. But when we trust in the Lord and do good, don't, I had a lot of things I wanted to say to Norm, but I didn't say them. I, I refused to say them. There were a lot of things that Patty wanted to say, but she graciously took his call. Trust in the Lord and do the right thing and leave it to God to straighten it out and work it out, and God will do that. Don't let people get, get a hold of your mind and get a hold of your heart. And I, I'll confess, I was a young pastor at the time, and it was hard for me to rise above that. I'd never, I, I knew a lot of people didn't like me, but I'd never had anybody just come right up and tell me they didn't like me. And most people told other people, and they told me they didn't like me, but Norm just flat out said he didn't like me. And he didn't believe I was a Christian, which, which hurt me as well. And a lot of things I wanted to say, but we didn't say anything to anybody I tell you that story to tell you this, that when we trust in the Lord and do the right thing, God works on our behalf. We, we don't have to solve all those problems. 
We try, we make an effort, and once we've done that, we leave it in the hands of God. We don't go off and get other people to choose sides and side with us and start talking to everybody in the church about what somebody said. Get over that. Get over that. Give it to God, trust in the Lord, and leave it there and do the right thing. Do the right thing. The second thing he says to us is don't get caught up in the consumerism of the age. Delight yourself in the Lord, and, and he, he will give you the desires of your heart. There are so many young couples. Well, what, we, what we're finding today is when young couples, middle-aged couples, come to faith in Christ, and they decide they, they want to jump in all the way, and they want to start paying their tithe, they find out that they're so far in debt from trying to get the latest thing and the newest thing and the best thing that they're in a position where they'd almost go to jail if they paid their tithe because they don't, have any, they don't have any margins in their lives. They don't have any margins. And even people in the church to have the latest and the best. Someone told me today that somebody in their family had gotten the latest iPhone, although they had the latest, latest, but now this is the latest, latest, latest. And they, they just had to have it. And you know, they've already got iPhone 50 on the shelves, and they're just waiting to sell us the next 38 versions before they bring it out. These people, you know, you've got to have the latest, you've got to have the best, you've got to have the newest. And we're captive to that. How many, how, many, how many messages do we get every day telling us what we need? We need to get our teeth whitened. We need to get them straightened. We need to get our faces redone. And, and sometimes that's true, I suppose. But <laughs> we need to fix this. We, we need to rearrange this. We, we need the latest gadget. And there's nothing wrong with having all those things, but when they become the pursuit of our lives, we have to go to, to the, the premier games or the premier programs, and we spend an ungodly amount of money to do that, money that we often don't have. We're caught up in this, this, this race to have and own. Somewhere we've got to get off that train. The only way to do it is to begin to delight in the Lord and find great comfort in Him. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to start living in a tent and walking everywhere you go. It, it might mean that, but that's not necessarily what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying don't, be, don't get burdened down with stuff so that you almost bury yourself alive with stuff and, and junk. We have a, a home. It's a ranch. But unfortunately, the, the whole ranch has a basement underneath it. And uh, it's not finished, partly because it's full. Uh, our, both of our children, children don't ever go away. You know? They don't ever go away. Our children have, both of our children have stuff in the basement. And uh, uh, Patty has stuff in the basement. And I have stuff in the basement. And we don't know what to do with it. We don't ever use it. We don't need it. 
Uh, some of it's a pretty nice stuff. Most of it's just stuff stuff, but some of it's pretty nice. And I talked to Patty about doing it, and she says, well, I, I can't just, uh, you know, it's worth something, and we can't just let it go. And I said, well, it's not worth anything in the basement. I mean, if we got a nickel for it, we'd be ahead of the game, <laughs> wouldn't we? That's not good logic, is it? We're all encumbered by stuff. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying stuff is wrong. I'm just saying, delight yourself in the Lord and you'll find that your earthly needs are not quite so urgent and multiplied as they are if you're just always focusing on the latest thing that's coming along. And that becomes a hindrance to us in our search and in our desire to follow Christ. And then he says in verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Now he's talking about circumstances here. Commit your way to the Lord and uh, and. And trust also in him, and he will do it. Now, the word commit means roll it over on the Lord. Uh, we went through a season in our lives where we were struggling with some things, and, and we would roll it over on the Lord one day. And in the morning when we got up, the next day it was right back on our backs. You know, sometimes you have to roll it over and roll it over. And roll it over. And the more you do that, the less often you have to do that. Until finally you'll come to the place where you can really release it into the hands of God. And, and entrust it to him. And believe that he's going to do something about it. And, and the Lord has been teaching us a different way to pray. We don't ask God for as much as we used to ask him for. What we do is we thank him for the answers to prayer that are coming. We just thank him. If we're praying for somebody to get a job, we start thanking God for the job that's out there and is coming their way. If somebody needs healing, we start thanking God for the healing that's coming. But however God chooses to heal, we just start thanking him. And we're finding in our lives that as we give praise to God, and that's what we do when we, when we sing together. We're opening our hearts in praise, and it gives God room to move. And that's why when we come into a service, suddenly we're focused on him. And it's an incredible experience when that happens. But it only happens when we really begin to focus on him. So, so commit your way to the Lord. And, and some of us are carrying... Burdens, uh, we were at Olivet for their primetime day on uh, Thursday of, of last week. Guy Penrod was there, did a wonderful job. And at the end of the service, he, he, he was sitting on his stool and motioned to me that he was done. And I, I had a little thing I was going to say, but I, I just opened, I just gave an invitation and I said, I, I believe there are some of you here today and you've got sons and daughters who are away from God. You've got grandchildren who are away from God. You've got health issues. You may have financial stress in your lives. And that's not only an issue for senior adults, that's an issue for all of us. There are circumstances in our lives and we don't know what to do with it. It's beyond us, it's too big for us. We don't know how to cope with it. And I just invited them to come and bring those burdens with them. And I asked for the privilege of just speaking the name of Jesus over them. There's power in the name of Jesus. And, and they stood there and I, I just spoke the name of Jesus 
over the needs that might be represented. And I believe in a room like this tonight, there are some of us carrying some burdens and, and there really are a distraction to our spiritual journey. It's, it's heavy, it's cumbersome. We don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to manage it. We, we worry about it. We get sometimes angry about it. We, we just push and shove and wish and nothing happens. And we don't know what to do. Well, I don't know everything to do, but I know one thing to do, and that's to bring that burden and roll it over into the hands of the Lord Jesus because there's power in the name of Jesus. And our Lord works in all of these circumstances as we learn to roll it over on him, and sometimes it's, it's more than once. And then he said, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. And, and really, the, what he's saying here is hope in the Lord. Uh, be imprisoned by the promises of God, not by the opinions or the actions of people, not by the things that this world offers to us at quite a cost, and, and not bound up and imprisoned by circumstances beyond our control, we, we lean into the promise of God. And we wait expectantly. I like to think of waiting on your tiptoes. You know, when you stand on your tiptoes, if you get high enough, you always fall forward. It's hard to fall backwards from your tiptoes. You just get up high enough and you're, you're, the weight of your body is going to propel you forward. You'll, you'll always fall in the right direction. You'll fall toward him as you're leaning in with that kind of anticipation. There, there are two significant waiting rooms in a hospital. And one is intensive care. And in intensive care, everybody's waiting with apprehension and concern. And in our part of the country, when the door opens and a doctor comes out, or, or someone is summoned to the conference room, generally that's not a good thing. And, and everybody's hoping they're not coming for me. This, this is not a word for me. Everybody waits with fear. But there's another waiting room, and it's in the maternity ward. And everybody's giddy over there. It's like they've all been drunk. You know, they're laughing and they're talking and they're eating and they're drinking and they're having a great time. And every time the door opens, they're all on their feet. This is ours. This is it. The baby's here. They're, they're waiting on tiptoe with anticipation and joy. And that's the way God wants us to lean into his promises. To wait eagerly anticipating what God will do about this. On... Uh, on March the 7th of this year, I referenced this a little, uh, I think Sunday, but on March the 7th this year, we were wrestling with an issue and we were on our way home from the revival in, in Joplin, Carthage, Missouri, and Patty was asleep and God got in the car with me and gave me assurance that he was going to take care of this. And I wrote it down on my phone on the calendar. And just a few weeks ago, it's quite a while, from March until October. But all that time we were on tiptoe, eagerly anticipating. And he answered that prayer. <laughs> he took care of that burden. You, you lean in. You, you don't 
you don't give him rest and you don't take a rest from bringing your petition to the Lord and waiting on him. As you start pursuing the more of God, there are, there are all kinds of things out there that will try to distract you. You know, the devil doesn't mind it if we come to church and pay our tithe and sing in a choir or teach a class. He, he doesn't mind. That's okay with him. But when we begin to take seriously our, our relationship as a child of God, and we begin to lean into and hope in the power of God and the goodness of God, he'll do everything he can to stop us. He'll create strife in the church. He'll, he'll bring some difficult person into our lives. He'll offer us all kinds of other things to take our minds off what God wants us to be doing. He'll load us down with burdens, some legitimate and some not legitimate at all. But he'll load us down with burdens and tell us that we can't make it. It's not worth it. It's too hard. Don't, don't, don't do this. Just settle back where we've always been and let the world go by. But I want to declare to you tonight on the authority of God's word, there's a better way to live. And God is inviting us into a fuller way to live as we just bring everything to him and give it to him. First of all, bringing ourselves, but secondly, bringing the issues of our lives and entrusting them to him. Amen. Stand with me, would you please?